Hi, I'm Minka, and you're listening to The Sand Space. We are the first South African climbing podcast, we think. And we're super excited to talk to South African climbers about climbing and also some of the tough stuff. Stick around. We are committed to releasing an episode on the last Wednesday of every month and then possibly a special edition in between. End your month on a high note with us. Hey Sanders, it's your trusty co-founder Amy here to introduce this banging episode where we plan to talk about mentorship but obviously got super sidetracked into a million vaguely related topics. Who can blame us? Catherine and Brigida are bursting with passion, experience, and pure strength. Also, this episode was recorded before sunrise, so give the ladies a break. That's dedication. Before we jump in, we have some exciting news. We're turning one in May. Yes, can you believe it's been nearly 12 months since our first episode came out with Chris Kossler pre-Olympics? To mark the occasion, we're having an epic giveaway where you stand to win prizes from Block 11, Good Beta, Vertigo Gear, and more. We have prizes centered on Josie and Cape Town, but you can enter for either hamper from anywhere in South Africa by posting on Instagram and telling us about your favorite episode. Keep an eye on the gram for the specifics. And finally, I'm coming back to South Africa for my 30th birthday in July. I'll be here and there, and I hope to bump into lots of you. Specifically, catch me and Minka in Bourbon on the weekend of 15 July. Come and send with the send space. Now, onto the episode with these lady crushes. I hope it gets you fired up and thinking about how you could be a mentor. Good morning, Sanders. You have joined us for another episode. We're sitting here with Catherine Honiger and Brigida Pagado. Hello, ladies, and welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Good morning. <laughs> thanks for this early start. Oh, what's the time right now? It is uh, now 5 uh, yeah, 5.33. 5.33. 5 a.m. recording. Guys, when you were committed to recording, like getting up and recording the way that, like getting up early, the way we get up early for a climbing mission... My heart was so full. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, this morning when I did wake up, I was like, oh, it's just as if I was going to do a quick hike on Table Mountain. So it was kind of cool. But before that, I was like, 5 a.m. Is this woman crazy? <laughs> yes. 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 yes, true. I wanted to talk to you guys about um, climbing and female mentorship. So let's maybe start with why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the people I know both of you I would say quite well now I think we're friends and where you see yourself in the within the climbing community sure okay hi everyone my name is Catherine Honiger um I started climbing in high school um I was always interested in climbing whenever we went on school, like trips, there would always be a wall that you were supposed to climb, like just rock face. And I would always enjoy it. And then our school got a climbing wall. Um, but the times of the climbing and the diving clashed. So I couldn't actually join climbing. But then I went on this um, camping trip with two of the girls that were in the grade above me. And they saw me climb and they were like, no, you have to join the climbing team. And so they made a plan with the teacher that I got to do climbing on Fridays. So that's how I started climbing. What school were you at? Um, I went to Rodine. It's in Johannesburg. I didn't know Rodine has a climbing wall. Yeah, they do. They even have a climbing team. 
Yeah. Still? Yeah. And we made it an official sport. Just before I left in matric, it was turned into an official sport. So now people can get colors for climbing there. Amazing. Yeah, and there's like a captain of the climbing team and all that jazz. Climber of the year, I think, I hope. I hope by now they have that award. Why aren't they competing? Um, they do. They do compete. Or at least they used to. When I was there, I competed with them. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure what the situation is at the moment. I'm unfamiliar. Yeah. But yeah, um, and then, yeah, I sort of, I really enjoyed climbing. I only climbed on the wall. That was, so that was grade um, 11 and 12 that I started climbing. And then I went to Varsity and I went to Vitz. And Vitz also has a nice climbing cave and wall. And I was friendly with people. But then I never really went outdoors with them in the first few years because I also kept injuring myself. It's sort of a passion I have, I guess, a hobby, a side <laughs> hobby is to just injure myself. Um, I feel so connected to you in this moment. I did that too. And then... I went to Bowen for the first time and then I was actually suddenly hooked and I was like, wow, climbing is amazing. I don't understand why I didn't get it before. Um, yeah, and then I started climbing a lot outdoors. Uh, hardest send is 26. I've also flashed at 26, so I'm also a bit naughty in that I haven't sent harder, but it's okay. Um, and also 7B Boulder, those are my hardest sends. Um, and then... I started climbing again, like competitively recently, but I'm one of the older female athletes out there. Um, but I sort of do it just to push myself and for the fun and for the sort of, um, if you, I find when I go to a gym, I don't necessarily want to climb some of the routes that are like slopey and horrible. And so when you're in a competition, they might put up a slopey route that's just my anti-style. And so it forces me to actually get on it and try and like improve that style. So. That's sort of my story um, and where I see myself in the climbing community, I guess friendly, <laughs> friends with as many people as possible, essentially. Um, I just, I like the outdoors. Outdoors is my happy place and I like to climb rocks and I like to climb all of the rocks and all of the different rocks. Like some people will say going to Paul Rock sucks, but I say going to Paul Rock is super fun and amazing. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't like climbing on cheese grater type surfaces. But I don't mind. I sort of just like all climbing. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> and hopefully I'm, I can help people also, I don't know, get the climbing bug, grow the sport. So that would be rad. Oh, also I'm currently on the South African Climbing Committee as the athlete representative. So if any athletes have issues, you can just message me at athletes at sankef.coza, I think it is. I'll give Minka the link. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Find it in the show notes. Yeah. Brigitte? Yeah, so um, I started climbing in 2015. I've always wanted to climb before. Um, I never knew about climbing when I was a kid. I'd seen Spitzkopper, but thought it was just a hiking thing. And the first time I heard about climbing was probably already at Varsity. So in 2015, there was a wall uh, erected in Stellenbosch and I'd heard about it and I think immediately reacted on it, went there and learned to belay and top rope that day. Um, from that time of starting climbing, I realized I'd really enjoy it. Before that, I wanted to climb, but nobody I knew climbed. 
So the journey really started quite swiftly into the getting to know people at the wall and going climbing with them. And I kind of progressed quite nicely. I had someone who taught me how to climb in the gym and also explained to me the progression of indoor to outdoor. And within three months, I did my first lead outdoors in the quarry just around the corner from here. (laughs) Who was that? It was with a group of friends, David Walski um, and Jenny and Hendrik. Anyways, people that basically in that little Stellenbosch community, we all became very good friends as well. And we friends to, to this day and go climbing outside, not as regularly as we'd like because people have working lives and things change quite significantly. Um, when, we, when I started climbing, the thing that uh, really struck me was that you growing yourself, you challenging yourself. Um, and I was disappointed in the sense that Stellenbosch hadn't really tapped into that. And it's been something that's been pushed ever since for Stellenbosch University to actually engage in the climbing as an Olympic sport. And we are finally at the cusp of this, which is fantastic. Um, ultimately, my journey of climbing is I knew immediately in 2015 within that year that I was going to go trad. I was immediately taken um, in awe by the fact that climbing up unknown territory walls would get you to the peak. So it's not necessarily peak, but it's going on a real adventure of the unknown. Yeah, the adventure scale is huge on trad. Very different to normal sport climbing. And big wall climbing is Mm -hmm. insane. Exactly. So even if you do like multi-pitches, it's just, oh, it's another level. I just like to go up. (laughs) Correct. And more interesting about it is for me that I knew that. And in 2016, I went to the Tradathon and Ross Sutter was the uh, trad uh, leader taking newbies out for a climb. And I signed up for that, I think, three like literally the week that the triathlon was announced. And that's where I learned to trad. And to this day, actually just last weekend, I went climbing um, in Krakadel. And Ross was also there. And it was really nice to see how people can be a big part of why you grow in your climbing. But you have to be the first one to grow yourself, I think, is an important aspect. But where do I see myself in the climbing community? I absolutely am the gate, I wouldn't say gatekeeper, but someone that is opening the gates for climbing. I want more people to try out climbing. I want complete new people to think, oh, I have a fear of heights, but I can overcome it or I can manage it. So risk in this world is a thing that we are ingraining in people to be feared and to be put in a way and actually what we need to discover is that when we deal with it we open up such an incredible door within ourselves and other people so when someone says I have a fear of heights I go well that's good you stop yourself from hurting yourself that way but actually you can manage it you can overcome it as well So overcoming fear is something I favor, and I did that with scuba diving before I got into climbing. So with climbing, I kind of feel like that's where my place is in the community of new people getting into climbing, while at the same rate, connecting different age groups and different kinds of climbers within the community is something I really love doing as well. And um, yeah, I can't wait for the next year and the next years for more climbing and more people and climbing to grow. Yeah, I couldn't agree with more with every single thing that Brigitte said. Um, 
yeah, just seeing the whole community grow is a phenomenal thing. And I think also thanks to the Olympics and having climbing in the Olympics, it's already grown quite a lot. Do you think so? How? Why? I've seen the numbers and the stats. Well, that's because I have access to them. <laughs> but um, yeah, the climbing uh, memberships have grown a lot, which is amazing. At the gyms? Um, also in the provincial spheres. So I know the Western Cape climbing has done a lot to push that. And so last year they had one of the like largest climbing competitions that's ever been held. So I that was, saw that. that was yeah, incredible. it was really, really cool to see. Um, I think the only thing is with growing the community comes also growing that awareness of how we should behave in nature. Because that's the biggest issue is if, if we lose access to land that we already have because somebody didn't understand the protocols or didn't want to follow them or decided to litter all over the show, like, I think it's very important that we educate people as we go as well. So, yeah. Almost instill, like, a climbing philosophy. And to provide that, it actually requires older generations to show people, but also younger generations to be inquiring mm. willing willing to learn willing to learn willing to discover i think this is why mentorship and climbing is such a prevalent aspect because it's not just learn how to use the gear and learn where the places are and learn it it is an entire ethic that you have to I mean, bestow on someone and have them really appreciate what that means um so mentoring and specifically Female mentoring. Have you guys had mentors within the climbing community? How did, how have you been mentored? I. It's a very difficult question to answer. Um, I guess when I did was. Did you think they were going to be easy? <laughs> no, I just. <laughs> I didn't like. I don't know. Um, so I guess when I was in high school, when I was learning to climb at my school, our teacher, Mrs. Scheidegger, she was our, our like coach essentially. And so she taught us the cleaning techniques, this and that, took us to Steuben's Valley for the first time. And so I would say, looking back, she was probably quite a big mentor, but at the time I didn't really recognize her as that. Um, and then when I went to varsity, it was sort of different because you, you just are your, your own coach in a, in a sense. Um, but moving to Cape Town, I became really good friends with two super strong female climbers, which was a lot of fun to go out and climb with. So that's uh, Lindy and uh, Tash. So the three of us would go to like Montague together and just crush. Um, and that was really cool because they would push me. Um, so they've both climbed, uh, well, I think Lindy's climbed a 29 and Tash has done a 30. Um, and so it, it was really awesome because they would be like, no, just hop on this thing, just do this. We'll show you the moves. We'll help you figure it out. And so it was really nice to have some other female climbers because in the past I'd only climbed with men. And although that was awesome because I have quite a natural like strength ability, so like climbing with guys is quite easy for me, it, it did miss a bit of that, that female aspect, which was really, really nice to have. Um, but I don't know if I can necessarily say that they're mentors because they're kind of the same age as me. Um, but, like, they are mentors in a way. It depends how you define the word and, and what we're looking for. But I think it would be better if there was a, a more structured mentorship program in place. How is it different climbing with women? What would you say is that, that extra or different thing when you climb with climbing with a group of men and compared to climbing with a group of strong women? I think the number one difference is technique. 
So women bring technique into the game much more than men do. So there are some men with phenomenal climbing technique and it's amazing to watch them climb. Like they're very mesmerizing. You can be like, ah. but um, I find that women just <laughs> don't laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I find that that women have that natural talent or that natural um a technique part of climbing just because they they aren't physically as strong as men most of the time and so in order to make up for that most of the time we're doing flexible split movements and this and that um, and it's really cool to watch and learn from that yeah I would say I don't know if you have have you been mentored what what's like your coming into climbing who would you say is one of your mentors so Firstly, with defining mentorship, I think one of the biggest things I think people have a misconception of is mentorship is someone that will show you stuff, but you have to be really eager to ask. So, for example, Ross, um, while that day was an organized day and it was a paid thing with the Ram Tradathon, I came with a lot of preparation. I had lots of questions. I had read up a lot of stuff. But I also put in the effort of what do I really want to get out of it? And I had met Ross on the day. And he was just um, someone who portrayed the, I'm going to show you the philosophy of climbing. So we didn't take the cable car up. We walked up. And when we walked up, we got to the India base where era final begins. And we spent the whole morning just placing gear. And I guess the big thing there was the eagerness, the, the drive that I wanted to learn from someone that knew and someone willing to give the answers or at least give insight and where else to go to sort of write a, a bit more of a roadmap. In fact, after placing all that gear, when we actually got to climb, he, he um, just let me go up a, a random part of the wall on my own account. And then after placing two pieces, he's like, okay, are you happy with this? Are you happy with that? And I said, sure. And I kept climbing. And then when I was above my gaze, like, are you willing to take a fall? And I had a moment where I was like, should I have a, a fear? And he's like, no, well, if you, what do you think about your gear? I was like, I don't think the nut's going to hold, but I think the cam's going to be fine. And he's like, well, if you feel confident to take a whip, then go for it. I and have goosebumps. You want me to? And I did. And that's, that's when Ross also said, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. What's did the nut hold? The nut didn't hold, but the cam did. <laughs> but, but this is the beauty is like, don't give yourself a false sense of security, right? Yeah. So Ross's insight there after that was you were very confident about the cam. I'm like, yes. And also just the technique of, you know, you've got two ropes, you've got two pieces. Um, I think what I really enjoyed most about that day is also I was thinking about the more holistic picture. I'd also decided to join Rescue that year um, and what I wanted to learn. Yeah, that, that was 2016 um, where I did the trad and everything just came together with the climbing. I literally inserted myself into the climbing community. Yeah, they had no chance. Yeah, <laughs> no chance. And the mentorship to this day, with I would say Ross was my mentor that day. Um, did I go climbing with him a lot afterwards? No, but I've seen him so many times in the mountain. He's someone I look up to. He's someone I would chat to uh, when I would see him. And uh, actually, a few months later, I climbed with someone at the Tradathon, Chris uh, Jordi, who was from Switzerland visiting. And we went climbing a lot together to actually like learn the ropes. And one of the things we did as well, which I specifically asked Ross what's important, he's like, make sure you know how to self-rescue. And 
besides that, we then spent a day with Ross, like learning how to do it, and then another day separately actually practicing it and mm. doing it. And it's really important to think about the adventure with some preparation, and then you'll have a much better adventure. Um, so what made Ross a mentor as opposed to just someone that you learned something from? He was someone willing to show and he could see the eagerness. In fact, at the end of that day, he said, I haven't had a student like this before. So I also realized like you have to bring a lot mm. to the table. Yeah. I think uh, when Brigitte was talking about inserting yourself, I think that was such a... a a really good line to say because that's exactly what you need to do but that's not just in climbing that's in life if you want to get something out of life whatever you want from it is what you put into it so if you're about to start university if you go in there just with a mind full of oh I just gonna study I'm gonna study oh I have no friends blah 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 but if you go in there with a mindset oh I'm just gonna do everything I can I'm gonna absorb all of the things I'm gonna join all of the clubs make all of the friends like it's it's about what you put into it if you want to learn you will learn Amazing. Um, yeah. I, at university, was known for like talking way too much in class, <laughs> but it's just because if you sat next to me, by the end of the class, you would be my mate, you know? <laughs> it's exactly like I said, you just, you just dive in. Yeah. No holds barred. I was known as Hopalong Honiger for all my crutches. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> I told you I get injured a lot. <laughs> in fact, how I met this girl was yeah. that same year. Really? Your first year of climbing? No, 2016, which is the second year, where I learned to drive. Remember, it was in in June, July, Boerven, with Lindy. Yeah, with Lindy. I had met Lindy that trip for the first time as well. And it was the three of us who who hung out, and Jody. Yes, yes, Jody. Oh, that was so awesome. And then then I did Power Pigeon, I flashed Power Pigeon. That was epic. That was my life. Jodie Fenton. Yeah, Jodie Fenton, yeah. I've met her now. She's amazing. Yeah, so I was also going to say, now that you mention mentorship as like people that you can learn from, etc., I'd like to say that pretty much all of the climbers that I've met have in some way been a mentor to me. But that's also because I ask. I ask for help. I ask for guidance. I, I try to understand. I try to understand like every movement. How is your body doing this? What's going on? Um... And so, yeah, by default, so Alistair, Alistair Fenton, <laughs> he was actually my sensei for a little bit, for a year. So I guess he was a, a huge mentor in my life, actually, because that's when I sort of started projecting. So that's when I sent my first 24 was in that year with him. And how do you, did he coach you? No, he didn't coach me. We just go climbing together a lot um, because we both seemed to have free time because we were both studying. So we both had gaps in the day and we'd go to like Chaspal and climb together. Um, but he just like taught me, you know how to project and what it means to project and I think it's a very important skill like he would brush holds tick holds be like okay now you practice this move if you fall here you like rehearse it make sure you understand so that when you get back on the wall you're doing the movements and you're not just lost again and trying to figure out your path again so mm-hmm. yeah that was really really cool thanks Alistair <laughs> hopefully you're watching or listening <laughs> thanks Ross um, yeah so that was uh, but then equally as I meet people, so so obviously James Barnes, he's, he was a huge influence as well in my climbing. Um, David Wade, before he passed away, like epic just to climb with him. Ivan van der Tang, like some really epic climbers out there and you just ask them for guidance. So when I was training, I'll put that in inverted commas because I'm not the best at training, but uh, for the first Africa Cup I competed in, that was 
last year. Was it the first one you've done? Yeah, I think it may have actually been the first one ever. Anyway, um, <laughs> Tony. So Tony, he he was training on the speed wall here, and I was like, Tony, don't you want to just help me get my speed times down because I have no idea what I'm doing. So then he became Coach Tony for a bit. So, yeah, when I did super well in the speed climbing, I was like, Coach Tony! And he's younger than me and stuff, so I think anyone can be your mentor as long as, as Brigitte was saying, you ask and you're willing to learn. Um, you have to put in the work. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, I but I don't think that's a defining factor of a mentor. That's no. a defining factor of the student. Fair, um, fair. The... That's a good point, actually. So with the mentor... <laughs> Someone, the approach that I'm taking towards um, defining mentorship as an idea, someone that's willing to teach you something, but also to follow it up. So they'll be available to you later. Mm-hmm. And if you have, for example, a question that you can ask, if you have, if you have a question about projecting, would you feel comfortable texting Alistair about it? A hundred percent. You see. So that, the, them, not, they don't even have to, you don't just have to speak to them every week. You, just the fact that they're available in the event that you have a question, in my opinion, makes them a mentor to you. Mm. I think Alistair could be defined as a mentor to the whole climbing community, though, because Absolutely. He, he knows a lot about a lot. So if you have a question about gear or this or that, if you pop him a quick message, he'll respond with a proper, detailed explanation of why this is better than that, etc. He's going to be so angry at you for <laughs> telling people Sorry. to text him. <laughs> he hates his phone. He's terrible with texting. But he will get back to you at some point. I think any one of those guys at Friends and Allies, if you mm. have a question, mm. pop it to them on Instagram. You will get an answer mm. within, I'm going to say, a week to be safe. <laughs> well, when, when I ever take an effort to teach someone I also say this is not where it stops this is where it starts and you have to drive it but I'm also happy to help you drive when you feel lost but then it's also for you to just ask then at that moment where what what especially when someone's going oh I can't climb hard on sport now what do I do I'm like well maybe try something else or maybe don't do that route maybe do something else or also Um, build your base so like do easier routes first and do a lot lot of them and build it up and then start you know projecting those harder lines so realistically they say that um your hardest red point should be two grades above your hardest flash slash on site they say a lot. I know. They. <laughs> who's, who's they? The proverbial they. The universe. It's just a, it's a common knowledge thing. I don't know. Somebody in a blog wrote it at some point, and that's now become the... Don't ask me. I'm sorry, guys, if I'm butchering this. But <laughs> It's a strange thing, though. But I, for example, with, like, sport, it just doesn't appeal as much in terms of my mind game as with trad. So I find that climbing sport, I don't get as much out of it in terms of head game as I do with trad it's almost like in trad I have a much more serious commitment to make a move I understand that as soon as the risks are just infinitely higher or I find that the uh, that there's just that extra it's like focusing mm, your flow mm. you go into flow zone so I think uh, 
that there's an amazing part of every type of climbing. Okay, that being said, I've never done ice climbing, but I'm sure it's also great. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy every single discipline, including speed, which people are now going to slap me for. But I think it's really fun to push yourself on one route and see how like fast you can get it. It's actually really fun. Dude, I tried it and even I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, speed climbing is fun. <laughs> I think it's um, also injury prone though, so just be cautious about it. I think if you do something too much... Anything yeah, that's that's true. I've never even tried the speed wall ever. I should try it. I'm going to Amy and I. It's our shared project. Yes, for long distance climbing relationships. <laughs> See, and then you can be like, ah, oh, I got thirty seconds today, and I did ah oh, twenty eight. That's adorable. It's really cool. <laughs> I mean, um, three minutes. <laughs> and then uh, my favorite is definitely sport climbing. I find it really, really pushes and it's it's really cool to push those boundaries and those limits and your physical being and I really just and as you may have heard earlier I enjoy going up so I enjoy I enjoy multi-pitch sport the most um and then I like sport and then probably bouldering is a recent one of mine so last year was the first time I actually started bouldering with friends outdoors and discovered what bouldering was. Previously, I was like, I don't understand this. I can't see the line. I don't know what's going on here. This is retarded. And then I climbed with some friends. And and if you climb with actual boulders who know what's going on and what they're doing, it is so much fun. It's like one of the best experiences. Yeah, I spent a week out in Rocklands climbing with Chris. Um, yeah, it was. then I learned to love bouldering. And so you can actually push the boundaries in bouldering as well, especially if you're doing some high ball stuff. You just then have to be cautious. And when you're bouldering, so that's the other thing I learned. I, I climbed a bit with Nale as well. <laughs> and I learned from that that when you when you want to do a, a line, you should check the top out first. So always go around the back, go to the top, brush the holds there, tick the things that are looking good. Because when you get to that point, there's there's like no turning back. You actually need to commit to the climb. And so you need to have a good exit strategy. So it's really important to make sure you map the top out and not just like climb from the bottom up when you're bouldering. Also make sure you have the right spotters because I've seen a lot of ankle injuries and things happen from people who have just been like abandoned. Oh, I thought he was going to catch you. Um, Yeah, and then I love trad. Um, As you say, there is another factor to trad. Trad for me is the scariest of all. I climbed a 23 with Jed last year. It's called Captain Hook. It's a beautiful line on Table Mountain. And it was the first time I took a fall on gear. So I think maybe the way that Brigitte learns on her first time chatting, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's, <laughs> as I said, I got goosebumps when she told the story. But um, when I fell on gear, I was, I was quite petrified. I, I was pumping out. I was trying to place things. I just kept dropping things. Luckily, it was all still like clipped into me. But I was like, uh, uh, uh. And I, I looked to the right of me and I was like, I can't move. I looked to the left of me. I was like, well, hopefully my gear is good. I looked was at my B-layer. Uh, no, it was on the pitch after the crux, the 21, I think. And I looked at my B-layer and I was like, hey, Jade, so I think I'm going to fall now. And he's like, yeah, okay, cool. And then I just let go. And then I just, I swung because it's horizontal. So I swung and I just landed straight next to him. And I was like, uh, and then he just proceeded to like pat me on the head and was like, don't worry, it's okay. Just go back up. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. (laughs) Um, So that was an amazing experience. And I'm definitely keen to push my grades on trad, but it was also like, yeah, it's, it's completely different. So I think that does bring more of that 
that fear factor mental you really have to know exactly what you're doing place your gear perfectly um i mean not necessarily perfectly but but know that you have bomber gear I was about to say, there's a big difference between placing gear and <coughs> placing bomber gear. And one of the things I've seen is people will place, and I mean, people that are leading and that I've followed where I've gone, well, it's important to know where the gear won't hold and why and in which direction you're placing it. So many people think they know how to place gear because they've seen how you put a cam in and, oh, okay, that'll obviously hold. Especially like simple things like a little bit of flare and the way the cam lobes are not holding correctly, it, it will and it may not hold actually. And the oblivious mindset of I'm not sure it'll hold is the most dangerous part about trad in my opinion when I see what I've seen. And I do feel like people can put that extra time aside to learn how to place gear. And one of the things I've actually done is the one day because I hadn't like climbed trad for a while I decided well let me just actually aid and I just aided a route from bottom to top a single pitch and it was fantastic just to really test the bomber gear placements and it's really a confidence booster to see that every single gear holds properly what is what is it to aid a route oh to aid a route is you you climb with gear But instead of uh, climbing for the gear just to protect you, if you fall, you are actually hanging on gear piece by piece. So generally, crack lines are really good to, to aid. Um, after Gosha sent her project in Rocklands, that line really mesmerized me. And then I was just like, well, let me just aid it. It's a 29 on trad. Um, it's really a beautiful line. Um, more importantly, it had perfect placements for you to aid put one gear in and, and I could still try out the moves and that's for the first time where I was like, well, 29 is really hard. I'm not sure <laughs> if, if I will ever climb, but I'm also going, you. <laughs> why would I not at least give it a try? I realized strength is something I'm short on. Um, height and technique is not actually the shortcoming here, um, which is fantastic. And I say this because after Gosha sent it and seeing how she climbed it, it was very inspiring. Gosh, yeah. is a very inspiring woman. My goodness. How tall is she? Five, uh, 1.5 something. She's Five a shorty and she crushes. She crushes. Mm. She's, yeah, she's cool. And it's, it's not about the like, oh, I've got the most aggressive shoes in her BD slippers. <laughs> <laughs> she's yeah. so humble as well. Mm. She's like so chilled about everything. She's like, oh, hi guys, how's it going? I'm like, you've popped out two kids and you're like climbing like eight A's still and just freaking phenomenal. And she takes her kids with? Yeah. On like the 29 cent? Crazy. So I'm not going to lie to you. This whole discussion that we've been having about mentorship, I sit here and I question, am I even a mentor? Am I a mentor to anyone? I don't know. Like, that's, that's the next step. How long have you been in the game and what can we do to help? Yeah. You said at the beginning of the interview that is what you wanted to do. How, yeah. how have you done that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've introduced a lot of people to climbing and mm -hmm. I've taught them. Um, I find I'm quite a patient person at the crags. Like a lot of my friends, when it's their first time um, lead be laying, I'm happy to be the person to go up. And a lot of people are a bit petrified of that because they only trust certain people when they're climbing. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. I've got this. You've got this. We'll all be good. Um, that being said, I did take quite a hectic whipper in the gym the other day and I was a little nervous after that. Um, 
So, yeah, I think you do also really need to trust the people that you are with. Um, and so as, as, as trusting as I was for new people to, like, practice on, I also think as I've aged with wisdom, <laughs> I'm now a little more nervous of that. But um, I don't know. I try my best. If anyone wants help, let me know, and I'll try my best to help you. I would love to be taught how to climb by you. When I saw you um, just teaching Rochelle about driving the uh, other day, was it Rochelle or was um, it? It was uh, Anya. Yeah, I was teaching was Anya. Anya. Yeah, one of the competitors who didn't know uh, hadn't been for a driving test. Catherine was okay. I think you were actually bored and you're just talking about driving. No, maybe. but I also I also thought you know I can pass down some tips that I learned, especially. For anyone who doesn't know this, I asked my driving instructor once upon a time, but how do I know when to slow down for the red robot? Like at what point am I too close that I should go through the orange or too far that I shouldn't go through the orange? And she said to me, well, you see the arrows that they've drawn on the road. If you're behind the arrows, there's enough time for you to slow down. But if you pass the arrows, then you have to go through. And I was like, wow. And so a nugget. That yeah, is a nugget yeah, of knowledge. That's what I thought. So I was, I was like, let me pass down my things, break into corners, accelerate out of them. <laughs> <laughs> and you also you are so patient. Um, have you followed up with those people that you've talked? Have you like extended them the mentorship relationship into making yourself available to them if they need help? So usually, so we've been we've been outdoor lead climbing and indoor climbing. Although more recently, um, due to work, I have been quite busy. And so I find that work makes it a little bit harder to connect and catch up to people on the daily. Um, but I'm always here for you. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this, you're one of hundreds of South African outdoor enthusiasts supporting this unique local podcast. But did you know we can support you too? The Sense Base offers climbing brands and peripheries the chance to connect with our audience using funky, engaging adverts, kind of like this one. We won't just read out your advert copy and consider our job done. We will work our magic to help your brand stand out. You can choose from one of our packages to create a package that suits your brand and your budget. When you advertise with us, you reach the ears of climbers all over South Africa, but you also help keep us going so that we can keep making new episodes. As far as we know, we are the only South African climbing podcast and we have big dreams. Help us to achieve them. Visit thesendspace.org forward slash get involved to find out more. What were we talking about? Well, yes, so I was ethics. going to say a lot of people, when it comes to sport lines, they say if it can be trotted, if they're good cracks, if there's good gear placement, then you shouldn't bolt it. Mm. But if obviously if the placement isn't there, then it should be a vaulted line. Who taught you to climb? I don't know. Many people. Mrs. Scheidegger was number one, but she didn't teach me that sort of stuff. So the ethics behind the, the climbing, where did, you, where did you get that? <laughs> For me, really? it was random people, like random bullies just chatting, just having general conversations with mm. people about it and hearing opinions. So that's a trad ethic that you have picked up. Yes, and then, then and I guess from the sports side of things, people would say, but it makes it more accessible if we do bolt it. But it's, yeah, so it's debatable. And they often argue it makes it safer, but you're going to, yeah, you're going to come into problems surrounding trad climbers if you say that about sport rings. Yeah, some, some um, if you don't re-bolt the lines and they get worn, 
those bolts can come out when you fall on them and stuff. The rebolting that James and them were doing. KZM. Yo, yeah. Some of the things that came out there, I yeah. couldn't believe it. That, but also the one thing that people don't realize, once you've bolted, we've only had maybe just over 100 years of bolt climbing. What is it going to look like in 300 years? Yeah. So, um, I don't know. And I brought up the mountain club because it's more where a lot of people who have started and come and done climbing on Table Mountain before, way before mm. bolts are there, have very strongly ingrained the tradition, the traditional climbing aspect of things. And I must be honest, if you are going to be a climber and you never want to have the fear of falling is one thing, the fear of you could risk your life, you are risking your life by being alive. Just the mere fact that you are alive, there is a risk of death, and the risk of death is certain. It's just a matter of when and time. When. Mm. So there's a podcast called The Business Wars, and they, they did an episode where they compared – I better get this right <laughs> – <laughs> the North Face and Patagonia. Those two brands, how they started, where in the timeline they started, what happened in the businesses to make like um, the market change. They did, I think it was like three hours, maybe two episodes of four hours of podcasting about these two brands. But one thing that really um, stuck with me, I think the gear developer, the North Face gear developer, was it Siobhan? No, that's um, Patagonia. Patagonia. Yes. And he and Black Diamond were actually before Black Diamond veered off from the way Patagonia was making. So they told a story about when he was making the pitons. And at that time, it was the North Face's best selling product. They made their money on pitons. And Yvonne Chenard went climbing. Patagonia. No, Patagonia. Did Patagonia make pitons? Okay, I'm going to take it. Mm-hmm. I thought they were only apparel. Well, they started as gear. Yvonne mm-hmm. Chenard started the oh. beton business. Oh, okay. Cool. Thank you for being here to correct that. Otherwise, I would have been on recording forever. <laughs> so, But the, the story goes that he made this product, this piton, that allowed us to climb and that opened climbing up for us. And when he went back to his like favorite crag a year after they had, or sometime after they had sold thousands and thousands and thousands of pitons, his favorite crag was littered with holes. And it, it broke his heart, and he went home, and he was like, I'm not making this stuff anymore. His business partners told him, we can't do that. It makes all of the money, and he, he refused. He made a really, really ballsy call and said he believes that these people, the climbers, will respect the decision, and they did. And then they became, began making Natural Pro. And again, if we think about like what a damaged uh, bolt is, it's permanent. It makes a hole. It's never going to be re-fixed. It's it's a it's a pity, especially when the route is possible for climb for climbing trad. Mm. Um, I think if it's a line where there's no trad whatsoever and you want to bolt a line, sure, that's different. But even worse is when that's bolted badly. Um, and badly means you haven't put it in the right places for protection. Like putting a bolt just a few meters above a ledge, you're standing on a ledge that's safe. Then it actually makes you possibly hit the ledge just because you've climbed past it now. And, and people are not cognizant of that. And some people, when they bolt, 
think they're sure of what they're doing correctly when actually maybe ask the anchor replacement fund for for ex- they have the experience to help guide you and how to build often people should be top roping seeing where the cruxes are and more than one person even to see where you want to put the bolt and i think it's like root setting right they have to keep certain heights in check when they make that decision with bolting the benefit is you can still just extend the drawers mm. if you need to mm. but uh, once a bolt is in it's there and what is it going to look like in 300 years I mean, we can say we don't care because we're not going to be here. But no, I we can't we say should. that. I think we can. <laughs> we can all agree we can't say that. Um, but it's like, for instance, the whole of Table Mountain is a no bolt zone, so you have to try to climb if you're doing Table Mountain. Obviously, I know Silver Mine is an extension of Table Mountain, but it's not the actual mountain itself. Um, and there, they have sport climbing, but the actual Table Mountain, that heritage site, no bolts. Only anchor bolts, I guess, yeah. Yeah, only anchors, and Upsell Africa has the bolts up there. And it is really a sadness when you see how badly people bolt because they think they can just do it. It's like at home they can just drill into the wall and you can fix it up later. No, you can't. In fact, you, you can't try really Polyfill. Polyfill the rock. <laughs> the rock. I've seen cement that people put in, and it's not so pretty. Mm. Yes. All of, all of the problems that we are discussing bolting etiquette, climbing etiquette, um, you know, anchor etiquette. All of these people are being taught somehow because they can do it, so they have learned how to do it. But the ethics, has the ethics come through? Maybe not. Maybe there's just, so what I've seen in the climbing community, yes, it's small, but everyone, every triad leader does it a different way, you know, which, which is fine, you're 100% right. But with that diversity, a lot of the ethics mes- message can get lost. It's true, but I also think that places like Sane Space are a good place for that to come through. So it's all about having that conversation and opening a door for that conversation. So now we're chatting, maybe people will write in comments back and say, oh, I think this, I think that, and mm. maybe it'll spur you know, some form of actual literature that we produce that says, okay, these are what we believe in South Africa. Because mm. I think there are places like in Font and stuff where they, they give you like a booklet of, these are the guidelines of how we do it here because everyone does do things slightly differently. Mm. Um, Usually there's an association for climbing, yeah, that actually manages a whole bunch of mm. information that is also reviewed by other people from different experiences and different countries. Uh, I mean, the Deutsche Alpenverein, DAV, the Swiss Alpenverein, I mean, they all existed way back when. Mountain Club is a good example here. They also publish regular journals. In the journals, that's where a lot of information is about climbing here too. Mm. In fact, um, a lot of, uh, from what I understand, Tony Lawrence's book uh, roots are from the journals as well. And some of the climbers specifically making handwritten notes about roots. And Leo Rust, I think, was one of the first people to compile a book of ledges on uh, Table Mountain. So now, how many of our more recent climbers, one, know that they are journals, and two, are, re- are reading them? Yeah, well, they're being digitized, the way I understand the journal, Ooh. so they will at some point be accessible. Whether it's only to members or not is a whole different question. I think um, people must realize that uh, the reason publishing and journals ha- and the way literature works 
has been monetized is otherwise it would cease to exist because people need to somehow make a living too and I guess this is the irony is that we're living in this world where it's such a weird playoff people want things for free and the irony is sometimes it's people that can't afford those are the people that should get access still if they're especially if they're eager but then there are people that just want to save that extra buck and yeah, I would. So my only thing is, I think that knowledge, especially knowledge on ethics, mm-hmm. should be Completely. freely available. Absolutely, Open and it source. should be it should be advertised as such. It should be spread spread this news because. And who's going to pay to do that? I don't know. I'm just saying you can even advertise on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. But I think it should. You know, it should go out and it should be common knowledge. Maybe you should have the pamphlets up at the gyms, the climbing gyms and stuff. Just on the basic ethics. Like, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Um, But I think that that helps, firstly, with us retaining land access. And secondly, making sure that the crags are in a decent state and that you actually want to go there. So the root guys have kind of done that. I mean, I know the Western Cape root guide has like a whole, <laughs> I used that root guide as easy reading. It was amazing. You know, you can read a lot about what's going on and stuff from the root guide, but people don't. People, people don't read. No. That is crazy to think because when I started trading, that was one of the first things I also looked into reading and uh, I joined the club, the mountain club, I joined Rescue, I joined the, I inserted myself in the community actively by looking at the different sources and now that people have access to podcasts and things like that, it's not an excuse that you don't read to not listen in or know what's going on. Um, but going back to the mentorship, that's a big one. People at the crag are responsible in a way. And this is the one thing that it's clear is you go climbing in a crag and you see someone do something absolutely dangerous and you get a horrifying moment of cold, you know, running down your spine and you go, this person is probably going to kill themselves if you don't intervene. And then you intervene and you have to be so gentle with it because people's egos are still so in the way. Like the one time I was seeing someone who clearly had completely new drawers and had no clue how they were going to use them, clipped, and I was like, you can see they're like completely new, and I approached, and I was like, before this gets a bit weird, I was like, hey, um, are you here to climb? Yeah, yeah, I just got the new gear and everything. It just came from the shop. I'm like, oh, okay, do you know how to use it? Yeah, of course, my friend, he showed me everything. I know exactly how to do this, and... He's clipping the drawer wrong way around, and I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> do you want some, uh, do you want to know why, the, which way around you're going to clip them? And suddenly, you know, the gentle way of approaching that also humbled him and going, oh, okay, you, can I explain it to you? And he's like, oh, yeah, that would be cool. So suddenly. Climbing as a self regulating sport. Yeah. I agree 100% with everything you just said. So we need to be responsible for those around us as well. If we see something bad going on at the crack, we need to act on that. We need to actively like say, listen, this is not okay. This is better. But we also need to do it in a way that's, you know, relatable. So you can't just actively go and start shouting at a person because mm-hmm. that's not okay. That's not going to make anyone feel safe or comfortable or want to be involved in the sport or this or that or listen to you. So you just need to be patient and understanding in the way that you convey the message. But I think it is on all of us to call people out on stuff that they do. I think it's also how calling out, but also how we don't actually have 
Like, if somebody wanted to learn to climb from scratch, is there really an offering? Well, there's guides. Yeah, but so is, is, courses. Is, is a guide a teacher or is a guide someone that takes someone on an experience? And I'm not going to question any guide's ability to do any of that, but the difference between what I've seen a guide can do versus what a guide should do if someone's actually wanting to learn is very different. Taking someone on a, up on Table Mountain just to do a quick route is very different to spending the time with someone who wants to learn. But again, that's also the mentorship thing that I think people have misconcepted about is it's not here, here I am, teach me everything. It's the I've gone and I actually like have actively made an effort to learn some of the stuff and now I'm going to someone that I can ask these questions hmm. and then they're willing to help and learn. So we're back at the structured mentorship. Mm. We keep, yes, we want all these things to happen. Yes, we want, there needs to be ethics, and needs, but it needs to be structured. Otherwise, how do we know that it's going to happen or not? 100%. I think that um, the courses, I think that is our way to go. The way that I did it is... I started climbing when the courses weren't available. Me too. Yeah. So I asked Alistair and I was like, I need this course to climb with Amy. I will pay you. Please, can we do this thing? We worked out something with all the thing. And then I paid him for his time. From there, he's also, I've also paid him for a number of other times when I've like increased my skills. I want to do this. I want to do that. Pay him for the morning. Cause you have to, if you believe that an industry is growing, if you believe that it's an industry that should be growing, you need to also be willing to input into the industry. You have to pay for the services. You know, the stuff about mentorship being for free, it is stopping. It's like, it is stopping. Quality mentorship for free. There's too many of us now, unfortunately. Content is becoming free. Sure, but content and mentorship are not the same. No, exactly. That's my point. It's like we have to realize that now maybe books are not free or like content is content is free but the the fact that somebody's giving their time to you isn't it's it's impossible for people to do that continuously without making a living but also what we have to question is is it making a living or is it um being able like a structure of a course is like you're getting value for money mm. yeah it's different people need to change their the way that they think about money. I This is my, I've got a little bit of a gripe with the climate community, yeah? Yeah, so I just wanted to say back on Brigitte's point of those who can't actually afford it should be offered a sort of mentorship. And that's what Block 11 is doing with their Dream Hire. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the most incredible things that South Africa has seen. I think they do it really well. I think it just, it's such an amazing organization. I hear you, yes. Guys, charity work, amazing. We cannot ask someone else to come into a space and be mentored if we haven't got the structure. 100%. What are we, what are we inviting them into? Do you and know what I mean? We're inviting them into just try this. Hopefully it will work. No, 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 no. If we want those kinds of projects to be successful, we need a system that we know works that we can invite them into. Yeah, agreed. So, yeah, great. Like, we're doing amazing work. We are doing amazing work with the Mguenya Climbing Club in Boven. Amazing. But how do we integrate them into the community without those kinds of structures? So, yeah, that's where we're heading. 
but we need to like backtrack a little bit and make a make a structure. Um, one thing that Benny David has done so well, he's doing trad clinics for free in the Mahalisburg, and that's how I learned how to trad climb. And he's just positioned it so well. Trad clinic on the Saturday and on the Sunday, an MCSA meet, and then. You learn how to place gear, blah, blah, blah. And the very next day, you go and you follow, you know? Yeah, I, and you just keep coming. I've climbed with Benny before. Um, he was That was the first time I, I led um, trad. So I'd been out to Mahalisburg with Alistair, and I'd seconded, like, I think Boggle and a few other climbs. Um, and then one weekend, none of my friends were available. I don't know. Everybody was just busy, and I wanted to go climbing. So I looked up, okay, what's the MCSA meet this weekend? And it was some... Uh, I think the dome escarpment in Mahalisburg. Oh, I like love trad. it. I yeah. love the dome, yeah. And so I messaged this guy. I'm like, hey, I see there's this, um, you know, meet happening. Can I please come through? I don't really own any gear or anything. Um, I went, I borrowed Alistair's helmet and his nut scratcher. And I just rocked up there as this random 21-year-old female. And it was all these old bully men. They just looked at me and they were like, Benny said, right, you're with me. <laughs> and he took me off on a mission and, yeah, set me on my first um, lead of trad, and it was epic. So, Amazing. yeah, he's, he's a great human, and in some respects, he's mentored me. So, <laughs> um, Catherine didn't mean a nut scratcher. She meant... A nut picker. Sorry. The, <laughs> I'm about to do an ad. Come on. That was such a perfect plate for me to just insert Can ad here. <laughs> oh, she actually meant the... Nut tool, Black Diamond Nut tool available on their website, www.blackdiamond. I hope this is the right website.com. Coza. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Thank you. You can order it there. I just got one. I'll let you know when I use it for the first time. <laughs> it's a very essential tool. I know. That anyone going on a trad mission must have. I can't believe it's taken and me this long to get one. Two press X. Got. Thanks, Alistair. And know how to use them. I know. Thanks, Alistair. <laughs> Next. <laughs> AJ Fenton. Dude. Basically, like, majority of my climbing knowledge is thanks to that guy. Yeah. He's he's quite a, a climbing legend in South Africa, I would say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, where were we? We were talking, we were talking about mentorship. There was Benny. We were talking Benny. about Benny. <laughs> Benny the first the time chips. the first time we went I went on a um a triad clinic with Benny and Al. They were doing it together. And I've obviously got some some personal gripes with the patriarchy, as most of them do. <laughs> and I freaked out at Benny. He was just telling me what to do all day. All day he was telling me what to do and it irritated me so much that I threw a little tantrum and I told him, Benny, just stop telling me what to do. <laughs> but that's the whole day was him teaching me how to tread. So telling me what to do all day of his time for free, teaching me. And I just got so frustrated. And I, I think I shouted at him. But he was very humble about it. Very patient man. <laughs> very, very patient man. And I went to another tri clinic and another one. And now we climbed together and he's patient with me. Yeah, great guy. Mm. Yeah, and he is very good at fostering the rest of the relationship. So it's not just about the first clinic. It's about how do you link the first clinic 
to the next meet? How do you link the next meet to being able to go out by yourself? How do you you know, do that. And then how do you, Marnie and I are now a climbing party that can rock up to a meet and we can climb and we can also now take people with us. So the progression of the thing, Mm. I think is where the mentorship comes in, the commitment to the progression, because without that, it's not sustainable. I agree 100%. And I know in in Joburg, the MCSA Gauteng or Joburg, or I don't know how they differentiate the regions, but the Joburg one, they used to have a climbing meet every weekend, whether it be a conservation meet or a sport meet or a trad meet or even an ice meet or, you know, any of those. They would always have something. I don't know about the Cape Town or the Western Cape Mountain Club. I think they, they do more like hiking meets. But I know that Judy Awakeling did organize a trad event quite recently and she got a lot of um, people who are knowledgeable and trad to come and she wanted new people to come and she wanted to teach them but I think ideally what we need to do is we need to reach into those resources that we already have so we already have an MCSA set up so we just need to approach them and ask them to as you said actually start proper programs start this mentorship let's get it going let's build the community um, um, yeah, I I'm I love to ask the MCSA to do stuff. You guys are an institution. You're our institution. Come do stuff. But what it actually just is is a bunch of people. It's about to say a, a bunch is, of volunteers. Which is why when I got the question, but what about the liability? Mm. Right. The reality is, it's the people that are all going, and if the people are not associated to MCSA, is there liability? Well, the question is, what is liability in this case, really? Because if you're going to go climbing you should understand the risks and if you don't you shouldn't decide to be there that stuff is going to get tested in the courts and i'm so excited to watch it yeah. it's gonna happen because there's there's stuff happening there's people climbing and then accidents happen and then you start weighing up the reasonable climber and that is just like a culmination of my two obsessions <laughs> <laughs> well just realize um, that a reasonable climber in different contexts is different Right. That's why reasonable will be very context-specific. Hence why teaching people how to climb is also very context-specific. If someone isn't ready to lead a 20, um, then they shouldn't be, you know, should they not be leading at all? Well, I doubt that. I think they can lead something easier. But the problem is often people translate gym to crag, and that's also very dangerous considering that gym, you've got colors you follow, and outdoors there's no colors. You've got to look for the grip. So you've got to be able to do the move and actually move back if you can't find a grip. So body awareness, body movement is so in sync outdoors compared to indoors. Not saying that indoors isn't, it's just what you make of it, right? So now try and imagine having to explain climbing, body awareness, risk within climbing, how all of it works to a non-climber that has to decide the fate of this thing. Start I shouldn't with top be roping. Start with top roping. <laughs> <laughs> That's my advice. Start top roping. We're going to have to do There's this thing um, in, in law where you go and you have a look at where the... So, for example, an accident site. You, the court and the legal representatives and the judge, the presiding officer, can go and have a look at where's the stop street, how far is that. You know, everyone can be like steeped in the atmosphere of what really happened (laughs) i want to take a judge climbing (laughs) (laughs) come enjoy this come let's go have a look (laughs) well it's different like police officers don't make it to any of the rescue locations so 
Yeah, that's, that's why the mountain, mountain, mountain club and the technical team I've has such a massive responsibility. Mm. And it's pretty intense, to be honest, from a perspective of when there's a questionable, like, doubt of something, and then people will have had to, like, give the feedback. It's mm. very intense. Um so just on on the mentorship thing again, I just wanted to mention that I know the Western Cape climbing, um, they're doing like a high performance sort of climbing, not necessarily academy, but for some of the athletes that are really taking the competition scene seriously, they've started including these sessions where they're learning from other experienced previous climbers that are doing really well. And so I was involved with one of their sessions um, and it's just really exciting to see what they're doing. Mm. And they're hoping to just... build this as a small one first now and that's why it's just the high performance for now and then they'll expand it and start including other people and younger people and i've seen the content that they've been putting out there making some very (coughs) interesting videos and stuff about nutrition i mean we all like wonder about nutrition no it's 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 really exciting what they're doing they really really Mm. are trying to push the boundaries with the sport and Mm. so i'm looking forward to see what they do have to offer um, and they're hoping to make most of the resources that they develop publicly available. So once they've built like a, this is a great um, way to monitor how your um, athlete is doing, you know, your, if you're a coach, this is a great way you send them this piece of paper. They write, oh, I had these extramural activities. Because sometimes you don't take into account that some of these athletes are doing like uh, soccer, cricket, rugby, tennis, and still climbing on top of that. So they're pretty exhausted by the time they come to a training session. So how how's the Western Cape um, teaching them ethics? I don't know yet because yeah. I'm not sure about all of the structures of everything. Mm. But I'm pretty sure it'll be part of mm. of their 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 fundamentals and what they're teaching the kids. It might um, be a good space for either athlete representative. Yeah. I'm saying But that's the other whole, the whole of South Africa. <laughs> but I mean, sitting in that position, you have a voice and you see what's happening now. You should mention it. If you don't, I feel like there's so much silos in climbing. Silos? Silos in this More world. words. Each, each province is very, I am this province and we are doing what we want to do type thing. And so, <laughs> we don't, you don't have to say anything you're not comfortable saying. Yeah, cool. Then I'll, but, but yeah. <laughs> but the silos is a problem. We don't live and work in silos. In fact, the collaboration is something that's lacking, I think. Between, between interprovinces. Between Western Cape, even just within the same province. I just want to have a very good conversation. In the end, I think we, um, the barriers are created, unfortunately, by stigma or by perception that are completely false. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, but to overcome barriers like that, because what are we, are we just going to sit in the problem? No. Okay. Fact, no, I'm also not like that. If I see a problem, I fix it. It's just part of, or I try. Like, for example, the concern for liability. Yeah. I actually, like you say, it's going to be tested one way or another. And the reality is if somebody goes climbing with someone else and they get dropped and they deck, isn't that a liability thing, regardless of whether it's an actual course or teaching? Does um, the MCSA have uh, legal insurance? Yes. So what are they worried about? Just fear. 
Yeah. It is fear. It is fear. Um, and it, it's right to be concerned that people are doing things in the right way, you know? For sure. I think it's also fear because if something bad does happen, that, that bad news spreads like wildfire. And then it will taint your organization of, oh, these people don't know what they're doing. They let this person hit the ground and break his spine or whatever. I don't know, you know. Um, people mm-hmm. like bad news. Yeah, unfortunately. And so... Thrive on it. And... If there's uh, bad news in climbing, it's always kind of dramatic. Yeah, it's just an example of why I think they might be afraid of it, regardless of their legal standing. It's mm-hmm. just that if something happens, it does, in inverted commas, taint them. So, Sure, sure, sure. Um, what do you do as the rep? So if any athlete has any issues, um, they email me or if they have any questions or... Um, yeah, they just sort of message me and then I bring it up with the committee as yeah. a whole, so with Manco, and I chat to them and I say, okay, this is the issue. So, for instance, before I was voted in, so I was only voted in last year, so I, I haven't spent the longest time as the rep. Last year, 2020? Yeah. Or 2021? Uh, yeah, 2021. Oh, that reminds me. Hi, everybody. What's the day today? Happy Good. New Year. It's the 14th of January. It is my 30th birthday in a month. Woohoo! <laughs> Uh, you're a, a Valentine's baby. Mm. Yay. That's nice. This episode will probably only come out like three months after that. It's fine. <laughs> um, wait, what were we saying? What do you do in the community oh, yes. as a rep? So, so I only started last year around July. Mm. Um, I remember because I was in Mexico when George phoned me and said, hey, will you take up this position? And I was like, uh, I'm in Mexico, but yeah, sure. Mm. <laughs> um so, yeah, I've had a few complaints come in that I've addressed and spoken to people about. But before my time, there was... So I know that athletes go overseas every every year, I think, uh, to compete at Worlds, uh, Youth Worlds. and As part of, like, a Sankey yeah, program? Yeah, part, part of the, yeah, South African National Climbing Federation. Um, and there have been some incidents of, like, bullying and stuff. Internationally? Uh, I think Sounds just different. of local people bullying each other and stuff. Mm. So I don't know if this is actually allowed to be public knowledge, I just realized. But either way, um, so we deal with that sort of thing, address it, have disciplinary hearings if there need to be some. Um, yeah. One thing that I'm super excited to see f- coming from this podcast is the organizations are starting to realize like the athletes are being questioned and actually don't know what's happening. So I've seen that media packs are starting to go out and people are being briefed about what they can and cannot say. But until that happens, <laughs> fair game. Yeah, okay. <laughs> fair game. Fair game. Um, so is the rep more like a reactive kind of position or can you also be proactive and bring things up and so I do try to be proactive Mm. um but sometimes falls on deaf ears I was about to say that's a very common thing Mm. things fall on deaf ears or nobody reacts to it or someone has something they know that they're not going to disclose regarding it and then you just sit there going but why and there's no response and it's quite frustrating I mean, the liability thing in general is something that anybody should... If we're going to live the American style of liability fear, we're going to do nothing and definitely not go climbing, which is crazy because 
we should be going climbing. We should be going climbing. We should be, and, and what keeps us safe is, is exactly that understanding what the risks really are, not being hushed, oh, this could be dangerous. There are very few parents that um, get comfortable with the kids climbing, and that's also why kids' parties at City Rock are a stress point. I mean, think about it. Like, parents being around while their kids are trying something where they're learning to deal with risk is so good, but it's actually the parent that's uncomfortable. They don't realize that, so then it's better that they either, you know, understand what they're fostering in their child by letting them go and climbing. If they can't be there, that's fine. But if they can be there, that they can actually rein in their own emotions. Jenny, in our episode with Jenny, she mentioned how nerve-wracking it is hmm. for her to watch her children lead. And she understands the safety. She climbed for a long time, climbed a lot of trad, whatever. She understands everything, which is maybe not a benefit that those other um, parents have, but she was livid. She couldn't do it. Yeah. Experiencing fear with your children. Fear again. Again. Always. <laughs> That's why climbing podcasts are so interesting. <laughs> um, the your position as a rep, you need to understand that it's a leadership position and a position that you can mentor through. So that thing where you said, "I don't know if I can look, <laughs> look," you've give, been given yeah. this platform, and you can't act in fear, and you also can't tell me that things people won't hear you. If I yeah. can make noise, yeah, you can make noise. You should. You should make noise. This is what we're doing. This is what this podcast is doing. It's making noise. It's very true. Yeah. <laughs> and especially in a position like that, where you are in the system that can change things, so we must. And the next step after noise is action. Once a bit on the video. Yeah, exactly. That's how it starts. It's true. Hey, did you know that supporting the Sense base on Patreon is like bouldering? Just three moves and you're done. Here's the beta. Step one, go to patreon.com and search for The Sense Base. Step two, choose from one of four membership levels, each with their own exclusive benefits and content. Step three, complete the sign up and boom. Just like that, you've supported your local climbing podcast. Thank you for spotting us. You're, okay, Brigitte, I want to talk to you about um, Climbable. How has it not come up yet? <laughs> you guys would have heard a little bit about it in the community episode. Go and check it out. Brigitte tells us an epic tale um, of Spitzkoppen. 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 It's so much fun to say. <laughs> German Spitzkoppen. The, the Matterhorn of, of Africa. And there you go. Go and check out her epic story. Um, epic tale. She talks a little bit about her business. Climbable. Why don't you give us a quick over overview and then I'm going to talk to you about how it comes in mentorship so start preparing yeah. <laughs> so climbable is a test of uh, what formal instruction can offer to people rather than just guiding because guiding is just being responsible for someone and doing everything for them and when you are teaching that is not teaching that is uh, maybe also good for people to have the experience it's like trying something out so if somebody isn't sure whether they ever want to climb or do climbing, to go on a guided trip is absolutely fantastic. But it shouldn't be confused with learning how to climb. And I say this because I found that I personally didn't have the opportunity to learn how to climb through a formal organization that has things worked out in a structured manner. Didn't know what was the next step. I sort of had to learn it from the insertion into the climbing community and asking lots of questions and to different people and also going and reading up and 
becoming well informed. And I find I found that from my background as a paddy instructor, I really benefited a lot from that structure. While it isn't the only thing you need, um, I'm hoping as Climbable to offer that because that is the platform on which then the mentorship can work so well because if you come with a baseline of instructions on how to belay and your mentor is someone you've now you know met and you want to go climbing with if they have to show you that you have to hold the end of the rope while belaying because you haven't you've learned only how to belay on a grigri it is um a frustration from a mentor why would they want to teach you and i think it's it's not that they can't step in on something else that's small and niggly but that's a basic and a strong basic concern in my mind because if we're going to live our lives always providing safety safety to the point that we don't climb like using a grigri just because it is a hundred percent safer a lot of people have that perception that it's a hundred percent safer but if used incorrectly it is more dangerous just like anything in the world, if you don't understand the limitations and how to use something, it is more dangerous. In fact, the gym to crag gap is huge. And people think, oh, I can just go into the, you know, mountain mail order and go buy my gear or go to, you know, Vertigo, buy my gear and go climbing. Yes, they can. People in the early days with scuba also could do it until they had to put things in place where you needed to have a certain course before you could go and scuba dive. Now with climbing, we're not at that point because gear is so accessible and everything, but I think it wouldn't be wrong to recommend people to do courses. And it's as much as it could be a, a business, it's not about it just being a business. It's about creating the opportunity for people to have a structured way to get into climbing. And I'm testing that with Climbable, and I say that because no one else is really doing that. I wish that there was a place like yours when I started climbing. Like, it would have made it so much more accessible. So there used to be. There used to be a thing called ASA Climbing Academy that was run by Neil Margetts. Mm. And I don't know if it still exists. still exists. Okay, but he, he used to do that sort of thing. Okay. Um, he used to have a little gym there by St. Peter's. But that closed down, unfortunately. It was a very nice little one. Um, and I think subsequently to that, maybe his advertising and marketing hasn't really been the best. I don't know. I know there's a company also that's um, pretty new that started in Joburg called Climb Out Josie that does kind of some of some of those kinds of courses as well, just making it accessible to people. Um, I, yeah, I, I see that something. that South Africa, as as we mentioned previously, it really the climbing scene really really is growing here. Mm. But I think the issue is there it doesn't seem to be one hub spot, one central knowledge point of this is where you can do this, this is where you can do that, this is, and and like. I feel like people are branching out from things because there used to be this climb ZA and climb ZA seemed like the the most central hub spot but now we have what is it the good space the sense what, no. what is that the <laughs> this is not the, the beta what's it good, good beta, beta. Good so, sorry i mixed the two so now we have good beta as well which which is based it's, in it's, city rock and yeah but it seems like it's a bit of a inverted commas rival to climb zda even though it isn't just, yeah, silly. but it's just i think aren't they working together kind of but it's uh, you see, I it's, think it's the like challenge is Climbs a Day has been around for very long. It's got a lot of history, a lot of information and discussions in that its forums, um, which is 
lots of knowledge that can't just be copied into another place. Mm. But also, it will take a lot of time to build up, which isn't impossible for it to happen. And in, in fact, if climbs a day um, fosters that in the same way it has over the years to continue, then it will continue. If good beta manages to um, get more people uh, engaging on comments and stuff. There, that's fantastic. I mean, Climbs a Day, if you lose gear, you post it there and lots of the people in the climbing community. I mean, in fact, I know people that the first thing they do in the morning is open Climbs a Day. What? I know some people that do that. Really? Yeah. And they it's discuss a route or they discuss a, a specific crag or they discuss something that happened or they discuss a, a rescue possibly that, um, you know, the information has finally come to light what has actually happened. Because during a rescue when people are like, oh, it's happening and what's happening, people that are on rescue team, that is so not something to do. Because as much as you have the right to have the information, you also have the ability to wait because it's not yet important. released. Mm. And respecting family members that could find out information that's hard, that they don't find it out through social media is super important. It's, it's a protecting the integrity of a human mm. being. Um, I want to loop back to Climbable. What kind of courses do you offer? So I offer very entry level. So people that have climbed in the gym who want to go outside and just try out what it feels like to climb on rock. That would be the the try out climbing so you don't really have to learn anything it's just you come along and you get to be belayed and trying out what it feels like to climb on real rock or you are a climber in the gym and you know you want to learn to climb and you want to learn to top rope belay at least then you can do the top rope or um, climbing course where you just learn how to have good belay principles which I'm not going to say you can't use a Gregory but I very much want to ingrain good usage of belaying techniques with an ATC or with an elder uh, mega jewel because it offers a very good baseline of always making sure you hold the end of the rope yes if you're doing that on a groupie then that's fine but locking off is also super important but to not get into the details there's a road map that I've planned and created for how you can progress through climbing it isn't like a set rule you must do this um, in exact order but it definitely helps in that this is a natural progression to go from top roping to learning how to lead climb on easy stuff, learning how to uh, clip correctly and just how to compose yourself on the rock correctly when you're climbing, being able to down climb. With belaying techniques, so important to know how much slack to give so that someone actually doesn't hurt their ankle on the rope, on the whip, on the wall is something that can happen even in the gym, even with a professional belayer, just because of not paying attention where the wall changes dimension and how the belay rather giving too much slack but too much slack that doesn't deck is a real it shouldn't be a guessing game but yet it is for many people who are climbing for years so where in your roadmap have you made space for ethics because what you're doing now is bringing people into this community into the outdoor community do you have space for confirmation uh, conservation and the ethics of climbing that we were talking about earlier so much in fact every single experience or course that you'll come and do the beginning of the prep what you will go experience even in what will come to you in your email before you come to the day what you need to bring what it will entail there is the we leave no trace and the leave no trace principle is so important um, from an even hiking perspective which we need the outdoor hub is offering that kind of thing for hikers and for ladies specifically girls at schools that are underprivileged to be able to learn how to do that and I think 
I personally make a very strong emphasis on that, while some people go, oh, I just want to go climbing. But there is that part that's very useful to ingrain in a natural way by every time you brief, you start talking about what it's going to entail as well, reminding people, leave no trace, and being mindful, being considerate about other people besides nature. You don't need to touch the lizard. You don't need to touch the animals. If you are going to rock, yes, that's obviously what you're there for. But like, you don't need to cut a tree down. You don't need to cut. Uh, yes, if you're going to clear the paths, let's just keep it to the paths. Don't make a new path um, just because that's more convenient for you. I think one of the things people don't realize is the mountain club has done a lot in the climbing from managing routes, managing access, and it's pretty much free for a lot of the people in the sense that Mountain Club has done this and it has benefited people that are not part of the Mountain Club too. And now, is it really the Mountain Club's only responsibility or are other people going to be part of it? Or should they join the Mountain Club before they can get access? All these questions are really worth asking to make the noise of questioning who's the central body. And I mean, we can say Sandbox is responsible, the rangers have to do the work. Well, no, there's many other people that can do the work. But back to Climbable, the offer is for people to have the opportunity to come do that. Have I worked it out perfectly? Definitely not. There's some growth there. Um, I think, should it be a membership program? And then, you know, how can that grow? Or should it be very specific courses? The idea with a roadmap is that people can come and be focused on something specific they need to learn. So if you're going to come learn how to lead climb, you're going to do a very big section on lead belaying and lead climbing, how to compose yourself safely while lead climbing. How do you manage the mind, the psyche about climbing and also the belaying? And what is a belayer's role? Is it just to hold the rope? Well, is it also to support the climber and what they're doing, what they're not seeing and what they're supposed to consider as safe or not safe? Engaging that in a gentle way is super important than shouting some, oh, you suck at this, no, you just have to move. Like, that's not going to help someone, that's also bullying. But now, I wouldn't say bullying is a thing that would be that once off if it's continuous oh you just suck at this you just suck at this that's, that's terrible there are people that actually do that and some people respond to that kind of hard hand um but is there space in climbable for the continuation Absolutely. of that mentorship um, relationship because what you've done now is you're inviting people into this thing you're teaching them about about our ethics and about how to climb and how to do it responsibly have you made a space do you follow up basically with the people that you've taught and how does your follow-up and the continuation of the mentorship because you're a mentor now to Pretty every much. single one that you you've bring taught. in yeah even people who I haven't taught yeah in fact the thing that I always do in the courses and it's not just to the courses even people who haven't done a course if you have a question ask it any, anyone should be able to answer, but if you ask it to me, I'd be happy to assist. If you have something very specific you need um, and you want to go and, and, f and work on, then you can ask me. Do I have the time for it? It's also a matter of then, I'll make time for it, but it must be something that you've thought through and it's not just, oh, teach me how to climb, teach me how to be lay safely. You mm. know, with, with the courses, the idea is that I've made the space, that you're making sure I commit my time to it. And yeah, this is why I think, I think paying for mentorship like not paying for mentorship but paying for the service and getting mentorship makes the student more committed sure. there is a study that was done um actually a number of studies that prove the same fact if you pay for something you are more likely to show up yeah. because yeah. you are connected on a different way like in a different way to that thing so 
this the free mentorship i think is going to die because people aren't going to show up the way that they would if they paid for it and in something like that you need to be all in yeah absolutely in fact it goes to show that like the outdoor series that i offered at city rock in november last year there was someone that signed up for all of them for all four sessions and didn't show up to a single one and that took someone else's space Mm. and i think the disappointment for that for me is that they've not only you know taken up uh the space they've also to show disrespect in a way Mm, and and that name is ingrained for sure and it's not that oh i will never teach this person it's just i do not have that person coming and asking questions going oh i want to go climbing with you will definitely put me in are you sure about that or what is what exactly is happening and i I mean the judgment on it isn't maybe something was wrong and they just never cancelled or there wasn't a cancellation system you never know the reality of like you say committing to something when you pay for it is huge I mean, besides the fact that most people should have the principles and maybe values of from home when they commit to something with a friend, not suddenly drop it because there's something better to do. Mm. If it's like something of a once in a lifetime opportunity, you know, that's, I wouldn't say different. It's just a real consideration of whether you're happy to to make that trade-off or something. Mm. Um, I generally have a, a struggle with that with people. Like I've had someone that really wanted to go trading with me. I made a Saturday available. And then the Friday evening before they said, oh, I'm sorry, there's this friend that came from, you know, overseas and I haven't seen Crushed. him in a long time. Can we do it another time? And I was disappointed. But you'll never go with that person again. You'll never no. commit a day for that again. No. And that person, I think, also just maybe they did it out of fear. Maybe. That's also something I thought about. Maybe it was just fear and intimidation in some ways, which I'm very strongly hoping not to feel intimidating to people. I mean, it's just a You question. can't control the way that people... No, you can't exactly, control it. Exactly. So just let it go. Um, but it is... It could very well be for whatever reason yeah. it is, you know? And I, the more that I get into, like, teaching people how to lead and stuff like that, the more I appreciate my mentors coming up, the patience that they had with me. And I just, I was chomping at the bit. Teach me this. Like I was just this little addict that would like come in and suck your knowledge. And then you would be drained and I would be drained and it would be the end of the day. And the more I start giving of myself back into the community, the more grateful I am for the people who have done it with me. Cause I realize now, and I know Alistair told me this, like, it's draining and it's hard work and it you have to like or not like the person but it has to be someone that you get along with so you can't just go climb with anyone yeah. you know and it has to you have your own time restrictions and day job and your own climbing goals mm. if it's a climbing day and you might want to try your own stuff and you're foregoing that to come and help someone else exactly and i mean if that's the one thing to say is if you are someone that's you know getting this knowledge and it's a complete like situation free in a crag you're asking someone for advice and they're helping you don't be annoying like don't continue like fearing someone off from what they're trying to do because someone will then like make an active mission to ignore you which is not great and I say that because I've seen it really someone gets so eager someone's given them just a little bit now they want everything and it just is also a thing of understanding like when to ask emotional intelligence and that's a way definitely comes to play 
And it's really that 100% happened with me and Alistair. He set a boundary with me. He's like, Minka, calm down. You here. I'm here. We'll be here for a while. You don't have to know anything, everything right now. It's fine. <laughs> and I can picture him saying that. Dude, <laughs> I, I, I walked into Friends and Allies and I saw him sitting there and I was just so excited. I wanted to talk to him about climbing. Let's talk about climbing. Can we talk about climbing? And I went to him and said, Alistair, let's connect. And he just gave this huge sigh. <sighs> Minka, it is exhausting to connect with you. <laughs> I was so crushed. But it's good. We need to be able to set boundaries with one another so that that decision he made to crush me, or not, well, to set the boundary. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, yeah. the, not the purpose. To protect himself. Well, it's a decision in the sustainability of the friendship, the relationship. The fr- exactly. Mentorship is a relationship. It is, right? yeah. And how to give and take. In yeah. fact, it goes as far as you as a mentee can also give back to your mentor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Giving feedback of, you know, this really worked for me, this didn't work for me is so valuable as a mentor as well. In fact, if I ever ask someone, do you want me to push you on a route? And they say, yes. I said, how would you like that? How does it work for you? How does your mm-hmm. mind work? And I mean, the problem is often mentees will exit from a mentorship situation when they mm-hmm. suddenly put out of their comfort zone. And that's also really tricky because then as a mentor, that's not what your goal is. But if that happens to happen, that's not you as a mentor's fault. Mm. That is the mentee's responsibility to realize, okay, I'm kind of exiting from this situation because I feel like this is going to push me out of my comfort zone. I'm not willing to do that. Mm. And that's on you. Yeah, there's an obligation on both the mentor and the mentee. And I think a lot of mentees don't realize that. There's an obligation to be there, first of all. Show up. Yeah. Be prepared. Have enough space in your backpack to carry a rope. <laughs> in fact, the, the, the new millennium uh, way to do it is come with a very small backpack to a trad thing because then you don't have to carry gear. And then I was like, no, no, no. That's not how that works. Give you two ropes. <laughs> I, yeah. I, when I, if I like, we went climb, Amy and I climbed Jacob's ladder with Robert and he had told us to bring a backpack, but I was like, we can just carry the ropes. Cause I now know Alistair taught me how to carry ropes without a backpack. I can go up top out without a big backpack because I am knowledgeable now from previous experience. I can do this. I'm empowered. <laughs> Thanks Alistair. Mrs. Scheidegger taught me to do that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I, I also just wanted to, to mention a mentorship sort of thing that actually happened here in Cape Town. Mm. Um, so I know Cape Town often runs these sort of courses for people like a oh, beginner, um, not not the paying ones, but but like a the Boulder League. Let's do a Boulder League refresher course of how you should spot people, this and that. The courses that Brigitte was giving on the um, series, yeah, they 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 do all these different sort of mini courses throughout that they offer. Mm. And one of them was a course by Jasmine Pile. It was for women. It was for female climbers, mm. and it was to try. It was during Women's Month or something. And I still signed up. When I rocked up there, Jazz was like, what are you doing here? Like, you're not a beginner climber, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but I can always learn. I can always learn from from other people and from these experiences and this and that. And maybe I'm, I'm at a plateau and maybe something you tell me will will help me, you know, get past that plateau, etc. And it was a really nice thing. It was over the week, over four weeks, I think, the this women's series thing. And then we created a WhatsApp group afterwards. It was called Wonder Woman. And... For a little bit afterwards, we did, like, meet up and climb at the gym together and sometimes 
some of us would want to go outdoors. And that was just a nice continuation of that mentorship Amazing. on her part. Um, but unfortunately, well, COVID happened. Mm. And so it hasn't been revived post-COVID. But maybe after this Is the WhatsApp podcast, group still open? The WhatsApp group is still Message open. Message on that WhatsApp group right now. <laughs> People on that WhatsApp group, this episode will be posted on that WhatsApp group and you'll be reminded of this day when Catherine Honiger sent you a meme. I don't know what you're going to do on it. <laughs> um, I'm saying, hi, friends. Let's make a plan to climb together again. Yes. Radical. Yeah. But yeah, Keep it going. The continuation is something that needs to be fostered. Mm. Absolutely. In fact, that's one of the things that happens a lot in the mountain club meets. People meet at meets, and then from there they go and explore specific things. Mm. It's a wonderful place um, to op- of places of, of people to meet. In fact, mm. that's the one thing people don't realize. It's the people that make up the club. Mm. The club itself is just the infrastructure. Mm. Okay, before we hang, I need to check that this is still going. Yes. I know. Do we have still space? Sick, we still have a space. I was going to say the funniest thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Say it now. Say it (laughs) now. I was going to say, let's drop Tinder and start mountain meets. (laughs) Yeah. That's how you meet people. Mountain meets. I don't know when last you were at an MCSA meet, but they're all a little bit out of my age, right? This is what I'm saying. Let's make mountain meets popular. I liked socials to just have people come to the social to meet people there at the mountain mm. club. Something I've been spending time on to actually create. And some of the people that are there for Yong's years want the socials to be about them, but actually they've suddenly woken up, oh, there's a whole new generation of people that they can tell stories to and you must see the excitement that these bullies have to tell their stories it's I amazing. know <laughs> but let's change mountain club from being bullies to being youthful people let's all just let's grow oh, perfect mix. we've yeah we've um, done a bit of work with the MCSA Joburg side yeah. yeah we Amy and I sit on a task team called the MCSA at large we were the ones that did the Bourbon Open weekend amazing young vibrant team chomping at the bit ready to do some stuff and hopefully that continues into 2022 i've got some big plans for the mcsa they don't know it yet um yeah i'm excited to integrate them more into the youth of the community because the young people are doing stuff stuff is happening yep and the more there's that integration the better for everyone for everyone yeah, there's funding available to do certain things. There's, like, access to a whole bunch of cool stuff. We are, I don't know if maybe I'm speaking out of turn now, but we went to Volkerpoort, um not so long ago, and there's been talk of, a, like, a mom festival at Volkerpoort. Trad, free solo, like, lining, all of it. Big, because you can do open fires there. It's not in the... Um, Amagharisburg Mountain Range, not in that that uh, area. So, you, like, amazing festivals there, but all because the MCSA has given us access to the place. Catherine Honiger just burped on air. I, I hope we burp, can hear it. was a hiccup. I hope we can hear it. Matt just <laughs> blurred right up. Hey, I got a reply from our WhatsApp group. Amazing! She said, oh, my word, yes, please. I'm dying for an outdoor climb. Oh, my goodness. Boom. Who was it? Mm-hmm. Courtney. Nice. Hi, Courtney. <laughs> um, cool. How crazy are podcasts? Yeah. That just happened, yeah. and this will be listened to, and then three years from now, when someone <laughs> listens to this podcast, they can be like, 
This is like three years ago, but it's happened. Ah, I was on that WhatsApp group. What? Yeah, it's like Inception vibes. Dude, it's crazy. <laughs> Timeception. Super exciting times, that's for sure. Yeah. I'm looking to get the MCSA involved in competition climbing because yeah. I think that it would yeah. be an interesting way to... Amalgamate the two. Yes. Agreed. And to bring youth into yeah, the club. Exactly. 100%. I think yeah. that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, how can we do that here in the Western Cape? The Western Cape competition climbing, they're rocking it. They're rocking competition yeah. climbing. Yeah. They've got a really, really nice bunch of people on their board that is super proactive. Like, they really are pushing and trying their best. And it's amazing to see people with active ideas getting acknowledged mm. and following through with what they're doing. Mm. Because a lot of the time it's, oh, we say we're going to do this thing, but we don't actually do it. And, and yeah, they, they're fully for the community. What do, what do your athletes think about um, the MCSA? I'm not sure. I haven't spoken to them. I haven't broached that topic. Do they all like climb outdoors independently? It don't? seems that way. Mm. A lot of the time, most people actually boulder in the Western Cape. It's much, much higher. Because um, there's obviously Rocklands, which is like the mecca of bouldering in South Africa. And so and the world in some ways. Yeah, yeah. actually. And people so, come from all over the world. <laughs> They if do, you open true. a Boulder book, there will be a Rocklands picture in there. It's very true. Even an international American book. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so because of that, most of the climbers here love bouldering more because the season's like epic there. Um, and so I don't know that if the MCC is so involved in that side of things. Um, and also there's a lot of bouldering around Cape Town itself in general. There just isn't a lot of information around it, which yeah. is a bit frustrating. Well, there is a new um, thing that they brought. A new website. Is it a website? Yet another another website that differs. From, but is it a website or is it an app? I'm not sure if it is an app. It is an Boulder EMP, so that's actually something related to more access with sand parks, the way I understand it, or to deal with the range of the parks, giving uh, boulders not a grief that they're in the park area. And then I think it's also just knowledge on where the boulders are. Okay. I mean, I found bouldering really difficult to get into because there is so little information on guidebooks and stuff. And I think Roger Nutris wrote, wrote a book once and some other guy that was very common, like climbing in Rocklands, who wrote a book. But those books are so... Did Roger Nutris write a book about no, Rocklands? Sorry. He's the guy that... He's the guy that... Sorry, it's someone else. I watched I Europa... Remember. Yesterday, oh, I was, the thingy that the video that he put it on uh, YouTube. Yeah. Yo, so yeah, Raj is a badass. I met him at the Very Bourbon nice. Open weekend, and I thought he was just like a bally, you know. And he is also just a bally, but crushes. And he's got two little pugs. <laughs> no, he's he's an awesome. He's awesome. He's a badass. And he's so open to people who need help or want have questions or want to get into. Not just climbing, mm. but climbing business and climbing work. In that regard, I think there are also incredible people in this community that are club and non-club members. Mm. And I think in terms of the club, it's club is a, a a place that has so many things that isn't just climbing. That climbing is a subgroup of that, that one must realize that. And um, the access isn't just for climbing, it's for many other things too. People expecting a lot from the MCSA, I think, um, 
maybe does put a bit of pressure on the MCSA, but it's just because the people are excited and they're doing stuff and they want to be out. And I think we should appreciate the benefit that we get from the people and from the club. You know, like you say, the mountain club is actually not just a climbing club. It's all the people that are in it that make Hikers, runners, all of it. Mm. Um, Looking at the climbing community that has grown, it's not this like very small community anymore compared to the highlining community, for example, which is still super small. Super small. And in (laughs) cute, she just said cute. Um, in that space when I the first time I got onto a highline it was an incredible incredible experience Martina Swart led me into like to do told me like told me how to rig up told me how to do everything but not only did he show me how to do it he took my mind on this like philosophical journey the whole way and it was just mentorship in a different perspective in the psyche in binner in my brain inside here mentor it was crazy I, before I jumped on the line I looked at him and I was just shaking from the inside I could feel my vibrations just going like this and I just said I am exploding everything inside of me is so excited to do this thing because it was so exciting and mentorship in that way on the individual personally can happen and can work like a dream in a small community like that. He taught me about the ethics of bolting. I've only ever seen them use natural pro. They taught, they're teaching me about rigging and how it works, what to do, how can't you do it? Why is it safe? Blah, 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 blah. They're teaching me all of that unstructured, mostly because I'm pestering them for with questions the way that you said you did, but it works in a small community. If you compare that to how much bigger the climbing community is, maybe that works for the first whatever 50% of what our climbing community is now because that kind of information can get transported between individual and individual but now that we are so many people coming into the climbing community we need to scale it scale that information transfer up because the people are scaling up but they're not getting it that message about the ethics and about how how it happens in the safe way and the sustainable way to do it it's just not getting there so how can i believe that everyone every single climber doesn't matter how long you've been climbing how well you climb what grades you climb what kind of climbing you do it doesn't matter every single one of us can do something to help someone else i want you Catherine, to give our listeners a an example or try doing this thing to help like on a, on a practical level how can we mentor one another on a day-to-day basis wow we I can need, start with Bea, like, right? I need a year <laughs> I just need some time to to think about that B. so I would say start inviting people to the outdoors but understand as a person going to it what it takes to commit to it don't flake um Things that are really like wonderful are the meets. Doing a form of that that's completely open day is scary and risky to be honest because now you're taking responsibility for other people who quite sometimes don't even or 
sometimes don't even want to take responsibility for themselves. And being able to say to someone, I'm actually not comfortable you coming along if you've seen how irresponsible they can be, should be okay. And in fact, I've done that recently. And it's someone was like, how can you do that? And I said, no, this person is thinking, you know, irrationally and not proactively considering what the risks of other people are. Therefore, they're not, it's not the space. And so the other flip side of the coin is how wonderful it is when people who are coming to those gatherings then are willing to learn, willing to help others, willing to support someone else in their struggles, mm. hopefully not beta spraying too much, <laughs> but still being super open and welcoming on, do you want beta? And just... Um, how they can help like is there something that they can do to support someone else's journey and that in turn helps them in their journey so mm -hmm. the actioning comes from you willing to show others but also realizing that when you show others that others will also be able to question and you suddenly learn something new which is mm -hmm. wonderful and that's how I see my teacher philosophy as well as I'm not a teacher telling people what to do I am a teacher showing you how to think And then you start thinking and you start questioning and you start poking holes into me and I actually get put out of my comfort zone. If you enjoyed that podcast, send us some love by donating money or telling people about the Send Space podcast. Check out our Patreon for ad-free episodes and extra content. There's some good stuff on there. You can become a Patreon by one-off donation or regular contribution. It's totally up to you please get hold of us. All our info is on thesendspace.org. If you haven't noticed, we like to chat. Thanks for listening all the way until the end. We appreciate it. Don't forget your helmet and rate, review and share this podcast.